In this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, we're going to talk about the role of faith in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ in Mark's gospel. Stick around. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. My name is Luke Arredondo, and I am the Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute. Um, We are resuming our series on the Gospel of Mark, And today I want to talk about um, four or five different episodes in Mark's Gospel where there is a healing and a discussion of faith, or the role of faith. Um, So in Mark's Gospel, there are many healings where Jesus simply heals someone and there's not a conversation about faith. Um, Actually, I was just just looking over just before we started, um, right away in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, there are three healings that happen. And there's not a discussion about faith, you know, included in that. So specifically what I, what I want to look at today are times where there is a healing moment and a discussion of faith. And what I'm trying to—what I wanted to draw out is uh, this, this unique—or uh, maybe it's not utterly unique, but it's something that is really—comes um, out clearly in Mark's Gospel, is how important faith is in order for us to be healed— um, there's, there's, I think, a, a common, you know, assumption, um, like when you're outside of the church, if you're not a Christian, you're not a Catholic, and you're sort of looking in, I think sometimes uh, there can be superficial ideas of like what a miracle is, or, um, you know, whether that's like it's absolutely nothing important, or um, everything is all about miracles, and, and the church has actually a very nuanced way of looking at healings and miracles. And so I wanted to actually spend some time looking at healings and faith in Mark's gospel. And we're going to work through a number of passages, and I'll, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. Um, but, but just that's the general idea is how when Jesus heals someone and he's, he's talking about faith, like what is the role of faith um, as Jesus goes about his healing ministry? So we're going to start in the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 5 verses 25 through 34, and this is actually a healing story within a healing story. So uh, the, the wider context is that there's this, this man, Jairus, um, who has a daughter uh, that uh, is at the point of death, and he wants Jesus to come and heal his daughter. So Jesus is complying with that wish. He's going on the way to Jairus' house, and there's crowds all around him like there frequently were, But in the crowd, there is one woman who seeks him out because she wants to be healed. So we'll start reading here in verse 24. There's like the middle of verse 24, technically. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had suffered suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that she what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. All right. So a few things about this story that are that are really interesting. And, uh, and one is that Jesus is in the crowds. There's people all around him. He's getting bumped into constantly. But there is one woman who reaches out and touches him, and, and he knows that, it, as the text says, power has gone out from him. She knows that she's healed. The disciples, like always, are clueless. And Jesus says, who touched me? And they go, what do you mean who touched you? I was reading a commentary uh, today um, looking over some of these passages. This is an excellent commentary. It's, it's part of the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture. And the author of this particular volume on Mark's Gospel is Mary Healy, um, who is uh, at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, or at least um, she was, I think, when she when she wrote this. Um, I think she's still there. Anyways, she makes this great point uh, in this story that, in her account of this story, that the disciples are constantly trying to bring Jesus back down to earth. Uh, and that they think he's clueless and he doesn't know what's going on. What do you mean, who touched you? We're in these crowds and everybody's touching you, and you ask us who touched you? Come on, man. Uh, but that really, they're the ones that don't get it, and he knows he's been touched. Um, and there's a distinction here that's really interesting, you know, sort of in a spiritual way. All of these people who are in the crowds, they're touching Jesus. They're bumping into him. They might be hitting him sort of hard, you know, if they're really in a hurry or if they're just not paying attention. They're all touching him, and, and the disciples are sort of right about that. But the woman here seeks him out, and just she just wants to touch his garments. So there's an intention that the woman has. She has uh, a deeper desire to have real contact with Jesus, and she's not just accidentally sort of bumping into him. She's reaching out, wants to be healed, and wants to touch just his garments, right? So this distinction between all of the people who did touch Jesus and the one woman who is reaching out, and, and she doesn't even touch him. She just touches his garments. Um, something else that's interesting about the story is that the woman had heard about Jesus, she had heard, it says, reports about Jesus, and because of that, she wants to be healed. So this story says she's been she's had a, a, a bleed for 12 years. She's gone to all the doctors. She spent all of her money, and she's not, not only has she not gotten better, she's now poor, and she's actually been made worse through all the treatments she sought, but she has heard about this Jesus the Nazarene, and she wants to go and see if he can heal her, and she believes that he can. It's only because she heard about Jesus that she is even trying to touch him. And so it, it, it shows us in a very real way the importance of evangelization, of sharing our faith. Because others had talked about Jesus, she knew enough about him 
to seek him out when she heard that he was near. And so she goes and reaches out and touches his garments. And she has very strong faith because she she says in her heart, um, if I can just touch his garments, I will be made well. And then, of course, she does, and she is made well, and she knows it immediately. And it's an interesting reaction where she knows she's healed. Oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to touch him. Is he going to know? So there's sort of some fear, right? But she does eventually, with fear and trembling, come to Jesus when he is looking for her. So there's two interesting things about it. One is that she receives this healing, and she's sort of terrified and scared. It's a way that the, the apostles, the disciples, frequently get when Jesus works a miracle or is about to work a miracle. They're afraid, and then he does a miracle, and then they're still sort of afraid but in a different way. Um, so that's one one dimension to it. And the other is that Jesus, even though, you know, this woman has been healed, uh, he doesn't want her to simply vanish. He wants to see her. And there's some ritual impurity to this that, that, that sort of brings an, an interesting dimension to it, that technically Jesus should be made impure by being touched by this woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years, but Jesus is never made impure. You can't—in fact, he makes the impure pure by contact with him. Um, so she approaches in fear and trembling, and Jesus does not punish her, does not threaten her, he does not castigate her and say, you know, you've made me unclean. He knows what he's done for her, and she's only beginning to understand that she's not only been healed, but there's something deeper. And Jesus says these very powerful words to her. He calls her daughter, first of all, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The word here for healed or saved, your, your, your faith um, has made you well, is what the RSV says. Um, other translations will say your faith has saved you. Sometimes it could, it could very well say has healed you. The, the, the verb in Greek is S-O-Z-O, sozo, uh, and it means both save and heal. Um, and so what's, what's operative here is that the woman had strong enough faith to seek Jesus out. Even when he was in the crowds, all these people are bumping into him and they're not being healed. She is seeking him out because she has faith in him. And that's opened her up to receive the power that he wants to give. And it just flows out of him, almost like he's unaware of it because her faith is so strong. And it is a combination of healing and saving. Like the, that, those, those two are connected. So in the spiritual life, salvation is ultimately what's important. Here in the gospel, in this account and, and a few other accounts, you have physical healings that sort of prefigure the deeper salvation that is at work. So the reason that I start with Mark 5 and this healing of the woman with the hemorrhage is because in the healing story of Bartimaeus in chapter 10, which we'll get to, the same language, your faith has saved you, be healed, your faith has made you well, your faith has healed you, your faith has saved you. That language is used in both cases. And what's interesting in both cases is it is not a Jew, right? It is um, just a, a woman, or it's not one of his followers. Um, in With Bartimaeus, um, you know, you have uh, another, they're outsiders is what I'm trying to say. They're outsiders who yet have great faith, even though they're not part of like the inside crowd, uh, the inside group who really, you know, knows Jesus closely. They've heard about him, they seek him out, and their faith saves them. All right, so on the one hand, you know, we've said, and we talked a lot about this in, in other episodes in the series, Jesus performs all kinds of miracles in the gospel, generally speaking, and then specifically in the gospel of Mark, a lot of action, a lot of healing. But in Mark 6, we have this interesting story where 
And I'll just sort of summarize it. Jesus goes home to Nazareth after having been in Galilee and other places, working miracles, doing all sorts of healings and, and exorcisms. And he returns home, he teaches in the synagogue, and everybody is just very skeptical, saying, where did this man get all of this? Uh, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Um, and they're very basically offended at him. They don't want to listen to him. And Jesus' response, um, Mark chapter 6, verse 4, is to say, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And then there's this very interesting line. Verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Uh, Dr. Healy, in this, this commentary that I recommended earlier, um, has, has some really interesting remarks here, and I just want to share a couple of her quotes on, on this story. She says that Mark wants to highlight the necessity of faith, at least a basic openness to God's power at work in Jesus as the proper disposition for receiving his healing. In other words, Jesus actually certainly could have healed these people, right, in a, in a very real way. He has that power, but they are not receptive to that power. They are taking this posture of suspicion, of rejection, of doubting, rather than having this fundamental attitude of faith. So that if we are to receive God's power, we have to be open to it. And because they're not open to it, they will not receive it, right? Um, also interesting, in many places in the gospel, Jesus does something and you read that the crowds are amazed. Here, it is Jesus that is amazed, and he's amazed at the lack of faith or the unbelief of the crowds. And I, I like this line also from Dr. Healy, just commenting briefly on this passage. Few things cause as strong a human reaction in Jesus as a lack of faith or, conversely, great faith. Faith is his door into human hearts, but it can only be, it can be opened only from within. So in Chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel, now it's several chapters in, we know Jesus can work great miracles, but he says he's not able to do so here, except he does lay his hands and, and heal a few people, but it is because of the lack of faith, because of the unbelief of those people um, who knew him. And this is a, a problem writ large in, in all of the Gospels, where Jesus is among those people who ought to be in the best position to receive and understand and respond to his power, his grace, his healings, all of these things, because they are, either they know him or they know of the, you know, the, the stories of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, they, they understand the story of salvation, or at least they should, and then here comes the one who's supposed to be the culmination of everything, and they, they just, they're closed off. This is a very big problem, and so there's this, always this interesting relationship between those who ought to know what Jesus is doing, who he is, and understand deeply what he's up to, and then the outsiders, like the woman with the hemorrhage who's been ritually impure for 12 years, or, or any other Gentiles, um, who they're not really part of the story, like they're not part of the, the covenant people of God, which is what Jesus is coming to, to expand who the covenant people of God get to be. Hasn't happened quite yet. See, you know, he's working on it. But the people from outside sometimes are able to perceive who he is better. Um, and it's both 
um, sort of a blessing for them that they have such strong faith and sort of a condemnation on the people that ought to know better. Why don't you know this? You know, any good work, no, uh, no mere, mighty work there in his hometown, uh, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people. So this is one sort of really important story that kind of shows that, 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 ten- that tension. Okay, now let's look at Mark chapter 7. So Mark chapter 7, the Syrophoenician woman, verses 24 through 30. And I'll, I'll read the, the, the passage here. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and would not have anyone know it, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children first be fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, you may go away. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So a couple of interesting things about about this particular story. One is uh, it, it shows the concern of the early church and of Jesus himself to take the message of salvation to the Jewish people, to the people of God of the Old Covenant first, and then to the Gentiles. And there's always this plan for the then going to the Gentiles. So it's never the idea that only the Jews count um, and nobody else, you know, needs to receive this message. And in fact, you see this even in the Old Covenant, that there's this universal dimension to salvation. You can see that even in the Old Testament prophets. However, the plan is is in in Jesus' ministry and the ministry of the church— Go first to the temples, to the synagogues, to the temples, there's only one temple, to the synagogues and preach, um, and then go out and preach to the Gentiles, right? Um, So that's what Jesus means when he says that, uh, you know, let the children first be fed, and he's talking about children is Israel, and the dogs are sort of the Gentiles. And it it, it is a sort of a a rude expression, sort of a pejorative um, way of describing uh, those who were not Jewish. Um, But what happens frequently throughout the Gospels, is those first people to hear the Gospel, to, to, to hear salvation, to see Jesus, you know, working his miracles, the Jews, they're not ready to receive it. For whatever reason, they have a skeptical attitude or they doubt, um, and, and they have a hard time understanding what he's doing, and the disciples are frequently in that group. So the Syrophoenician woman here is a Gentile, but she's desperate for her daughter to be healed. She's persistent She's cunning and she's witty. So when Jesus says that the children should be, should be fed first, she replies saying that even the dogs eat the scraps that come from the table of the children. Um, and so one way that we can think about this is that this is a, a story where Jesus obviously knows the woman's faith, but he wants to sort of invite her deeper and, 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 and you know, sort of test it a little bit. Um, so he, he kind of rejects her, and then she says, well, okay, fine. Feed the children first, but even a dog can eat the scraps that fall from the children's table. And so the woman's faith actually opens Jesus' heart more to uh, maybe accelerating his plan. I I like the way that um, Mary Healy, again, fantastic commentary here, uh, she describes it. She says, The woman's indomitable faith has moved his heart, Jesus, to accelerate the plan. The children's bread is given ahead of schedule to a Gentile. 
Um, and, and I really love that. And, and what is Jesus agreeing to is not to heal that woman who's right there in front of him, but to heal her daughter. And he does so long distance, okay? He's not even there. She is at home. She's got a de- her, her daughter has a demon, right? And Jesus says uh, very simply, For this saying, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she goes home and finds her child healed. This is one of only two occasions in all of the Gospels where Jesus heals somebody sort of at long distance. Um, not, not there, but he still heals them. Um, and in both cases here, the Syrophoenician woman, she's a Gentile, and in uh, the, the Gospel of, I think he's in Matthew's Gospel, the centurion who, who you know, commands 10, commands 100, um, and he has this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus heals uh, one of his soldiers at a long distance. In both cases, it's a Gentile. It's not a Jew who has come and sought out Jesus because they've heard about him. Again, that importance of, importance of evangelization. They've heard about him, and they're desperate, or they're determined, or both, and they want to go get healing, and they find, you know, in, in Jesus finds in them deep, radical faith. And because they have so much faith, he is able to heal, you know, uh, he, he consents to heal for them, the, these people who are, who are far away. And in both cases, of course, they get there, they go find them, and they are, in fact, healed. Um, so the, this, this is one case where you see faith um, of the woman operating on behalf of someone else, right? So in, in one of the cases we looked at, the, the woman with the hemorrhage, uh, Jesus says to her directly, your faith has saved you here. Because you have said this, your daughter is healed. Um, so an- another story indicating how, how powerful faith can be, that even when Jesus has a divine plan to go you know, and serve the Jews first, she, is, she petitions, you know, but even the dogs eat the scraps that come from the, the children's table, and so he, he heals her daughter anyways. All right, let's look at another one. This is, um, and we, I think that we discussed this previously. I can't remember for sure. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. So there's a man who has a son uh, that was born with um, a sort of a, a mute spirit, or maybe not born, but he's had the spirit since he was a child, um, and he brings him to Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole story, but it, it starts in verse 14. I'm going to skip ahead a few verses. So this is uh, verse, um, I'm going to say 19. Uh, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So the disciples had said, we tried to heal this, this kid, and I, we can't do it. So verse 20, they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him immediately and convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has he had this? And he said, from childhood. And it is often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus goes on to rebuke the spirit um, and to heal the boy. I'll skip, uh, skip ahead a couple verses. Verse 26, After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, the spirit, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to him, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. So there's something interesting here. Is that at the beginning of the story, and again, I didn't read all of the verses because it would, it would take long if we read all the verses every time. Uh, the disciples had already tried to heal him, and they couldn't, and they're sort of frustrated, and they don't know what's going on. And, and Jesus says, How long must I put up with you? How long am I to bear with you, um, you faithless generation? He's kind of talking to the crowds there, but he's also kind of talking to his disciples. Like, you don't, you don't, you couldn't do it, and you're sort of hoping maybe I can. Um, Like, why do you not get it? The disciples had clearly, at this point, seen him perform many miracles, but they still sort of are questioning, like, what they're supposed to do. And this is just like in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, the people of God throughout salvation history constantly seeing Yahweh intervened miraculously on their behalf uh, in the Exodus is the the, the most you know, the, the premier example of this, but there's tons of other examples in the Old Testament. And again and again and again, they do not trust him. And we have the same sort of problem going on in the New Testament with faith in Jesus. With like how, whatever the disciples see or the crowds see, they just can't like it doesn't sink deep enough. So the disciples are basically in the same situation with respect to Jesus as the crowds are. And the father in the story says, yeah, if you can do anything, Jesus, you know, have have compassion, have mercy on us. And Jesus is like insulted, like, if you can, come on, man, if you can, like, of course he can. And he says, everything is possible to the one who has faith. And this is a key for Mark's gospel, that faith is a gift, but it's also sort of a prerequisite. It's a gift that we're given, but we also kind of need a fundamental openness to it. And this is one of the things, and we talk about the theological virtues, that, you know, faith is a theological virtue, and it's infused in us. Um, it, properly speaking, in terms of a theological virtue, it's a pure gift. But we also have to have some sort of openness to this this gift. Pope Francis describes it in this beautifully as, like, that we have, you know, we have to have this door open for Jesus to get in, but it's just, it only just, just barely has to be cracked open, and that is enough for Jesus to sort of get in. So the Father says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And there's something uh, interesting here, too, when the, when the boy is, is healed, he's taken by the hand, Jesus, it says, raised him, and then he stood up. And th- those verbs of being raised and standing up are the same verbs that are used to describe Jesus' resurrection in Mark's Gospel and in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and in both cases, you have crowds there who see a death, but the Lord brings about a resurrection. So there's this, this question to the disciples, like, do you not have enough faith in me? And this guy says, if you, if you can help, come on, of course I can help. And then, But what is the response? I do believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay. Let's look at, I think, just one more story. Um, yeah, we'll look at Mark 10. Maybe we have two more. We'll see. Mark 10, which is the healing of Bartimaeus, uh, starts in verse 46, goes to verse 52. And this is a very similar story to the woman with the hemorrhage in that it's an outsider Okay, there's crowds. Jesus is passing by. Right, this is not someone who has like special access to Jesus. The woman happened to see him. The blind man obviously doesn't see him because he's blind, but he hears that Jesus is passing by. 
And evidently, he's heard something about Jesus, because when he hears that Jesus is the one passing by, he is eager to get to him. So again, that importance of evangelization, even if it doesn't sink, you know, if we share the message of, of the gospel with someone, even if it doesn't sink down into, like, immediately they decide they're going to commit themselves to the Lord and they're going to become Catholic and go to confession and all that, at the very least, they're aware of it. They've heard of it. It's, it's something they're familiar with. So he's heard something about Jesus, and he calls him by name, and Bartimaeus also calls him the son of David. Let me, let me read the passage before I get too carried away explaining it. So this is verse 46 of chapter 10, Mark's gospel. They went to Jericho, and he, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, um, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. Okay, so as I said, he calls him by name, Jesus, and uses the title Son of David, Son of David. Well, that's a very important Old Testament uh, you know, uh, term. It refers to the descendant of David. David is supposed to have an heir perpetually on the throne. There's all these things associated with David's son. But one of the prophecies of the son of David is that the son of David would open the eyes of the blind. So this blind man hears that Jesus is coming and calls to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he faces resistance from the disciples who don't want to let this blind beggar, you know, uh, get access to Jesus. They're trying to sort of defend Jesus from the crowds. And Jesus stops and says, no, bring him to me. So initially, Bartimaeus is not welcomed. He is actually actively resisted. But Jesus himself has to tell the disciples, bring him to me. So he flips the script. The disciples want to keep him away. And then he tells the disciples, bring me that man. And then they go say, hey, this guy wants you. You know, Jesus wants you. Come see him. He leaves his cloak behind very, you know, symbolic of baptism. And when we put on, you know, the white garment, like we are putting away our old selves. And so he leaves his garments even, his clothes in a sense, goes to see Jesus. And what is he told? You know, what do you want me to do? I want my sight. And says, go, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you because of that. Again, it's that Greek verb, sozo, uh, which is to heal or save. And, he, and it links these two ideas of of healing and salvation. And Bartimaeus has this awesome response. Not only does he receive his sight, but he followed him on the way. What was the way? That's what they called the church in the early church. It was he became a Christian. He followed along with him. This is why Bartimaeus's name likely is included here. He's not just a woman or a Syrophoenician woman or us a man with a son who had a mute spirit. This is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, because he was probably a known figure. So um, there, there's one more little count that I just want to look at, and it is it just that in the 15th chapter of Mark's Gospel, 
the centurion at Jesus' crucifixion. So I'll just read a couple of verses and make some comments here to sort of wrap up. Um, this is verse—oh, goodness, I feel like I got the wrong verses written down here. Um, oh, okay, yeah, so it's, it's, it's verse 39. Um, so we're going to read 38 and 39. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Or so is verse 37. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. This is his crucifixion story, his death. And verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that he thus breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Again, a Gentile expressing faith in the Son of God, right? But this is at the, the climax of the gospel. So if you, if you could sort of zoom out, what you see kind of operative in, in Mark's gospel, and, we, and I pointed you to some key passages here. Again, they're in the show notes if you want to go look at them, look at your own study Bibles, get some notes on them, um, is throughout Mark's gospel there is a recognition of who Jesus is, and frequently, not always, but frequently, it comes from those who are sort of outside of his circle. They're not necessarily the people that have followed him the closest. They're not the, the scribes and Pharisees, masters of the Old Testament. They're, you know, a woman who's been ritually impure for 12 years, uh, a man who's, you know, got a, got a son who's got a mute spirit, Syrophoenician woman who's got a daughter who's, you know, possessed, um, a blind man who's just begging out in front of the crowds. And then a centurion. And they are able to recognize who Jesus is. And in, in many of these cases, the, uh, there's this explicit discussion of the role of their faith. And, and that it's their faith that sort of makes Jesus able to even bring them further along. right? And, and again, there is a theological virtue of faith, and that, that needs to be you know parceled out appropriately. If you want to do that, we have an episode, and I'll put this in the show notes also, on specifically the theological virtue of faith. So you can kind of look a little bit more at that if you want. Um, but what I want to kind of close this up with is, is this, a passage from the Catechism, because it's something that I just think is, is I don't know, it's, it's a frequent thing I notice in catechesis, um, especially if you're working with people who are sort of coming into the church. Uh, it's this idea about miracles, right? And maybe sometimes we're... Um, not as cautious as we should be when we talk about uh, theology. We talk about things being miracles maybe too easily. But this is paragraph 548 of the Catechism. So it's, it's in the section of the Catechism talking about uh, Jesus's life, okay? And it's under the heading of the signs of the kingdom of God. I'll actually start in 547, which is only one sentence. Jesus accompanies his words with many mighty works and wonders and signs, which manifests that the kingdom is present in him and attests that he was the promised Messiah. Here's the paragraph 548. The signs worked by Jesus attest that the Father has sent him. They invite belief in him. To those who turn to him in faith, he grants what they ask. So miracles strengthen faith in the one who does his Father's works. They bear witness that he is the Son of God, but his miracles can also be occasions for offense. And note this line, 
They are not intended to satisfy people's curiosity or desire for magic. Despite his evident miracles, some people reject Jesus. He is even accused of acting by the power of demons. I like bringing this up in discussions with especially people coming into the church and people who are maybe new to the Gospels, because you, you, you see so many miraculous, wondrous signs being performed. Multiplication of loaves, walking on water, calming a storm, raising someone from the dead, healing someone who's a paralytic, healing a blind man, healing a woman with a hemorrhage. I mean, all these things are going on in the gospel. And maybe it's surprising, maybe it's not, but very often people who see these things happen still don't ultimately turn and become disciples and become members of the way. Now, Bartimaeus does, we know, became a disciple. And why is that? Well, it's because when we turn to him in faith, a miracle can then strengthen our faith. But the miracles are not there to give us faith in Jesus. The faith, in a certain way, precedes it, but also accompanies it, and is also a gift that's given to us. So there's this very rich and multi-layered way in which faith works. And again, check out our episode on the theological virtue of faith. But something I wanted to just draw to our attention as we look at Mark's gospel is in a particular way, those places when there is a healing and Mark says, or Jesus says rather, your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. Because of this, I will heal your daughter who's not even here. Um, and it's, it's something important for us to, re- in, in other words, what, what am I trying to say to wrap it up? If you are struggling with this idea, if you're, you know, just like you're, you're praying for things and you're not getting them, you know, what's really critical is not the miracles that Jesus performs, but the faith that he wants to give us. And I think that you can see this through, uh, throughout the gospel and in, in these particular stories where there is a healing, but it's all, it's all built really ultimately around faith. Um, and what does the catechism say about the miracles that they strengthen our belief and invite belief, but they don't, they don't give it to us. The miracle is not there so that we can believe. Rather, it's the miracles strengthen the belief that we already have, the faith that we already have. And you've been given that faith in baptism if you've been baptized. And if you have not been baptized, I invite you to please talk to your local uh, priest about uh, going through preparation for baptism um, and check out our episode also on uh, the theological virtue of faith, which will be in the show notes. So thanks. And that's all for this episode.